1: Well, good morning, Thrive. How are you today? Good. Well, we had an awesome time uh, in Mardi Gras. God just moved in, and I'm going to talk about it some in the message today. Um, we're in 1 Corinthians 7. Just so you know, the message is a little more PG-13, because that's what's in there. And you're like, some, we, don't, we don't talk about things like, you know, sex and things like that in church. Well, first, Not true excuse me thank you I am thank you um but uh the bible talks about it but number two uh God is everything he's not part of our life he is our life he is everything Jesus is everything and if he's everything that means he has an opinion on everything (laughs) and those opinions are the ones that matter the most Um, And he talks about it here in 1 Corinthians. Um, So we're going to get into that in a second. But as we do, I want to talk for a minute. In the beginning of my marriage, I've counseled, so I do premarital counseling. Um, What that means is basically we just sit with couples who are about to get married uh, sometimes it's their second marriage. We'll walk them through it too. Uh, mainly if they ask me to be the efficient of the marriage. Like, okay, we're going to walk through this. So I want to talk with you about what this looks like. We'll usually work through a book. Um, and and just, just make sure they know what they're getting into. It's not a... Some guys are weird, and they, like, try and talk people out of their marriage, and I'm like, why? That's weird and stupid, Um, but we just basically, are you on the same page? Because sometimes, you know, you don't talk about stuff, and we did that, but, you know, the truth is, and I I say this in the premarital counseling, the first year of marriage, if you've stayed pure, it is the most sex you'll ever have and the most fights you'll ever have. (laughs) That is the way it's going to go down. Now, some of you are like, well, that's not way, and you may have a different past, but Um, we had a lot of fights the first year, uh, and then a little less, and then a little less, uh, and now never, just never fight at all. No, I'm kidding. Uh, We still fight, um, but uh, way less and much more fair and over way less stupid stuff. So we had this fight in the beginning of our marriage, and, and sometimes they blend together, but it was the worst fight maybe ever, but it's also like the most comedic So one night we were sitting in our front room, and I think all we had was like a couch. We had a two bedroom apartment, which we thought was a lot because it had uh, two bedrooms instead of one. And uh, we were dirt poor, dirt poor. (laughs) I wasn't even in ministry yet. We were that poor. You know, like, ministry looked like money at that time. Um, (laughs) And and we were sitting in front of the couch, and one night we have like popcorn, and here's what happens. I finished mine. Now I was quite a bit skinnier then, but I finished mine. She she was barely touching it. Where I come from, that means it's fair game. <laughs> it's on if you're not if you're not eating it, somebody's gonna. And I'm here, you know. So so I start and she's like, "Don't, don't eat my popcorn, Tony." I, I was like, "Well, I thought you know you're done. You're not eating it. I'm I'm gonna eat it though." And then oh, you're dropping it. It's getting in the carpet. And don't ask me how or why, but this thing escalated like insanely so that so that she's like, it's getting gone. I, I mean, at some point, I was up on the ground like jamming it into the carpet like, look at that. What are you going to do? And she's going on about something else, and at some point, she got on me on me about my shoes, and I had these shoes that like, they were nice, cool Kenneth Cole shoes, but they were like on our Kitchen floor, which was garbage anyway, but it would like leave scuffs. I took those shoes and just across the whole kitchen floor, just uh, just tore it up. She took my shoes, chucked them off the balcony. Uh, <laughs> uh, it just, it just, I mean, it was insane. <laughs> and I look at, and it's funny now, but back then it was like, will we ever make it? Uh, and all my shoes are currently in my house. Uh, I know, don't touch Angie's food, even if it looks like, because she could come back in two hours, you know. Uh, she's a grazer. And it's just, it was just crazy. And And thank God for godly people around us who stood by us and walked us through things and taught us stuff. Uh, And that's what Paul's doing here in Corinthians. He's trying to teach them, this is a little bit what marriage should be and what it shouldn't, uh, what what you should look like in a broken world. And he was talking to a very sexualized, broken culture. This is a culture that they worship. They worship their gods, okay, Aphrodite. And they do it by having sex in a temple with a prostitute. That's their form. And and not only that, the daughters who did that for a living, the daughters who might have been raised and became a temple prostitute, they were considered just the best of all women. The highest honor. And Paul's trying to teach them, can you imagine planning that church? Like, there are days I'm like, like, in Mardi Gras, where I'm like, oh, man, the suburbs are nice. <laughs> like, thank God. Uh, everybody here is like, thank God we're not in the city, right? Just about. So Some of you are like, oh, I'd love to live in Chicago, but you have a bulletproof vest, and I don't. So, so, like, just broken. And Paul's trying to teach this church to grow up and get their life Right? And, and, and for single people, married people, divorced people, here's what it looks like. So if you go there, um, they, needed, they needed leadership. They needed Jesus. Uh, they, and the biggest thing is they need to be married. I'm going to grab my Bible. If you got your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians 7. Um, we, I encourage you, if you don't, bring your Bible to church because uh, it's kind of, you know, the foundation of everything we do, say and believe. So... I think that's important. And and so, you know, for a while I was even I was even just doing it from my iPad, just copy and pasting. And I'm like, you know what? I want the word in my hand. So um, so if you have your Bible, go to First Corinthians chapter seven, verse one. Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it's good to abstain from sexual relations. I'll keep reading, but because there's so much sexual immorality. Each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. He is talking to a very sexualized church in a very, a very broken city with a very skewed view. That is what I just came back from. They think all of it's fine. What's the big deal? I'm not hurting anybody. First of all, not true. There were thousands of people down there, and they were getting hurt, and they were hurting each other. But not only that, you don't always even know. The Bible says sin is fun for a season. The Bible says it. The Bible recognizes things that we like that are bad for us can be enjoyable for a minute, right? Nobody takes crack and they're like, that was awful, but keep it coming. <laughs> no, because it, it does something good to you, makes you feel a certain way for most people. My buddy Mike we, was just here. Mike Shepard. He was here Thursday night. He's back up to Wisconsin, Northwest Wisconsin, but he stopped on the way. He's got such an awesome story about how God redeemed his life. The guy was a bouncer in a strip club and a cokehead and and a, and a drug dealer. Radically saved. Fast forward to now, he's an associate pastor, a youth pastor. God has redeemed his life. Uh, he's looking at planting the church in the next few years. God just rocked, like just saved, right? That's why we say the word saved. We were saved from something. We were changed. We were made new. We are like, you think you're better? I am way better than I was. I'm not comparing myself to you. I'm comparing myself to who I was. And yes, I am way better. And Paul's talking to this church in a sexual age saying, like, this is how messed up it is. You've got to stop. So in Mardi Gras, beads is a big thing. And one of they, teach, they teach the teams, I am not going to toss these out. <laughs> um, this is not that church, all right? So if you don't know, sorry, here it comes. But they, these are given out based on people doing sexual things, for the most part. There are other reasons. But a woman will expose herself, and then they give her beads. Now, we think that's fun or amusing, but let's. If you just did that on a normal day, would that be okay? <laughs> no, no, that's messed up. But there it's okay. Why? It's no less destructive. It's just accepted by the group. And here's how messed up it is just like in Corinth, it was an act of worship. That's how far gone they were. They thought this is how we connect with God, and they thought this act of sexuality with a temple prostitute in the temple would ascend to the god, Aphrodite, and then somehow it would cause her to want to consummate with another god and then bless their fields and their harvest. That's what they believed. Now, we're all like, well, that's stupid. How could they think? That's crazy. Hmm. Let's fast forward to now. We hand out beads, and they have this giant party based on, and this is not a slam on the Catholic Church, okay? But it came from the idea of a Catholic church. New Orleans is an extremely Catholic city. If you think Chicago is too Catholic, go there. Counties are not called counties. They're called parishes. That's how it's named in the region, okay? And, and, and this builds up to Fat Tuesday, which is then followed by Ash Wednesday. So that's when, okay, no more beads because it's Ash Wednesday now. So total debauchery, but now we got to go back to church. (laughs) Does anybody see that that's a little broken? Now that being said, this is not an event sanctioned by the Catholic Church. Okay. We aren't so different. We aren't way off. And Paul is trying to tell them sex is a God in our culture. We have made it that way. Right now, LGBTQIA plus 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 the alphabet army, and I'm not slamming like if that's a struggle in your life or you. I'm, I'm not slamming. It just it's gotten a little ridiculous. Like I don't know when the letters end anymore. Um, and if you can't see that, like you're not being reasonable. Okay, but it's gotten so far. And why? How many of you would like to be viewed or talked to as so and so's husband or so and so's wife? Oh, John Greena. Oh, Sylvia's husband. Yeah, I love Sylvia's Syl- husband. Syl- Hi, I'm Sylvia's husband. Like, like, you wouldn't want to be identified solely as that. But that's what the LGBTQ lie is. Why? Because we're obsessed with sex. It's a Freudian gambit based on bad psychology from Sigmund Freud in the last 200 years, and no sooner were the first cultures in the entire history of the world to say, We are who we're sexually attracted to. We're the first ones ever to do it. It's a God to us. And it's a false God and it's a bad God. And not only that, it's a God that will eventually let you down. See, one day you won't be 25 anymore. And you won't be raging for this thing like you are now. And at that point, then who are you? Do you see what I mean? Like, if that's the sum total of who I am... What a low view of humanity that is. You're so much more. You're so much more. Then everybody who's ever had testicular cancer and then has to have it removed, they no longer have personal value. Do you realize that's the viewpoint? Lie from hell. Not true. Sex is a blessing from the Lord. It's wonderful in the context of marriage, which we're going to talk about. But beyond that, that, that's what it is. And it is not everything. Some of you are like, well, that's 50% of marriage. Like, oh, you, you're new, aren't you? <laughs> God bless your heart. <laughs> and you're going to find out that is not the case. Your day will come. All right, let's keep moving. <laughs> Let's go to verse 3 and 4, okay? The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, the husband gives authority over his body to his wife, amen, and let's go home and do what the good book says, amen. (laughs) No, No, we're going to keep going. You can laugh, it's all right, this side's like, I'm not comfortable with this whole conversation. That's all right, that's okay. Bible says some things that make us uncomfortable, um, or you're really comfortable with it and you just don't want to say anything. <laughs> um, sexuality is a large portion of life for a short period of time, and then it becomes a little less and a little less, and you know, thank God, thank God. I love my wife more than the years we were engaged, or the time we were engaged. I love her more. But it's deeper, and it's wider, as am I. But, (laughs) let's take a minute. All right, so, so, but at the same time, it's not the, oh, all things Angela all the time. Why? Thank God, because I couldn't keep a job if I did that. I lost two jobs in the process of dating. Why? Because I was just, I just wanted to be with her. You say, that's terrible, Brian. That didn't happen to me. Well, I love my wife more than you. That's all I'm saying. So, <laughs> I'm serious, though. Anyway, <laughs> like, it, it's going to happen. These times are going to come, um, and But they're also going to pass, but it's a gift from God. Sexuality is designed by God within marriage. The world doesn't make sense outside of a biblical worldview. So sexuality outside of a husband and a wife within the context of the marriage, no matter how you spin it, no matter how you feel about it, it is destructive. And within marriage, it is awesome. And that's it. The Bible's kind of clear on it. It's just the way it is. You say, well, not me. I've I've not dealt with that. Give it time. It'll come. And then it takes it further, and he starts talking to marriages. By the way, husbands and wives, sexuality, not a tool for manipulation. We don't withhold, and we also don't abuse. Both and, not either or. Right? We don't tease husbands. Your wives aren't an object. Wives, your husbands aren't just servants to you. It's both hand, And we honor one another. It's intimate. It's pure. And we keep it that way. Beautiful thing about the marriage bed, a lot of freedom. Basically, you can do a lot of things up until the point where it would cause disease, pornography, or bring in things that shouldn't be, that go beyond the two of you. Okay? Anything beyond that, destructive. Anything... Within that, a lot of freedom, a lot of blessing. Hey, you guys work that out. That is as far as I'm going with that. You're like, how far is Pastor Brian going with this? That is as far as I'm going with this. You want to know more? Come to the Marriage and Family Circle. All right, so I'm kidding. You're never going to know. All right, you know I have five kids, and that's all you need to know. All right, we have been fruitful and multiplied. All right? So, but we belong to one another, and we serve one another. In that area and in every other area. There are times I spend money, my wife doesn't like it, but she hasn't left. And there are times that she does something or communicates in a way I don't like and I don't leave. Right? There are times we've been tempted elsewhere. We're both still here. Why? Because that's what it is. This is covenant. That's the deal. We actually literally have said we don't say the D word. From early on, it's not in the vocab. We don't get to go there. Now, one of the things, basic things, you want to keep your marriage fired up and good, you better get away at least once a month. You have one overnight at least once a month. You have one date every single week. And then once a year, try and get away for two or three nights. So you're like, that sounds great, and you're not married. It's not for you. Wait. Zip it up and take a jog. Okay, keep going. Verse 6. <laughs> I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am, but if they can't control themselves, they should go out and get married. Marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Singleness is not a curse. As much as, as if you are single and as cursed as you might feel, you are not. You have an ability to serve the Lord like married people can't. You really do. You have something to offer we, well, we can't anymore. You know, my kids are taking a year and seeking the Lord for some time. How many of you wish when you were younger you, you could have done that, taken a year, two years, and just sought God? At Bible college, at a master's commission, an internship. Yeah, it's amazing. And once that's gone, it's gone forever. Now, that being said, some of you are like, I'm cursed with singleness. First, and so they're like, maybe God's called me to this, but I'm cursed. Like, first, Paul's saying, I was gifted with this. Again, it's, it'd be an issue with certain denominations where they don't believe in marriage if you're in the ministry. I disagree with that, I think it's destructive. And Paul even said it, you're going to, man, if, if, you're, if you're even a little bit, Paul's saying I'm gifted with this. He had no desire to be with anybody except Jesus. That was his calling on his life, but that wasn't the norm, and it isn't the norm, right? We can go back to Genesis and say it's good for the two to be together. This is good. God wants that. It's his design, Okay. But, also waiting is good. If you are single, stop waiting for the perfect one, but wait for a godly one. Leave that up for a minute. Some people who are single, who are Christians, are like, well, number one on my list is that they, they, they're Christian. That's, that's number one. And if I get a chance to have a conversation with that person, I always say, that is really stupid. And you're like, what? No, Pastor Brian. Okay, have you, have you gone through your list and on your list of who you're going to marry or be willing to be with, is breathing on the list? No, because that's a given. We don't marry cadavers because that's kind of messed up, right? Although give it time, we'll pass a law. But, <laughs> but that being said, right, this, this age, this time, like we know they got to be breathing, if you're a believer, you're spiritually breathing. If they're not a believer, they're spiritually dead. That's not on the list. That's a given. Okay. Number one on the list is if you want to find a God, uh, is do you share the same vision? Well, this person wants to be a missionary to Africa for the next 20 years. And well, what do you want to do? Not that. <laughs> you got a problem, but you got to walk away. You may need to pray. You may need to see. Lord. I've known people who did that. The, uh, one, somebody who was engaged to somebody, who, but that person wanted to live in Australia. They wanted to live in Wisconsin. You got a bit of an impasse there. <laughs> they ended up breaking off. So, oh, man, why? And Because we're so afraid we won't be with anybody ever. It's a lie. If it's your heart's desire to be with a godly person, God fulfills the desires of your heart. And even more importantly, he's the one who put it there. That's not even your desire. It's his desire for you. Skipping down, verse 12. Now I'll speak to the rest of you, though I don't have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to continue to live with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children wouldn't be holy, but now they're holy. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound, for God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't your husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? Um, How many people in this room, God used your spouse to help lead you to the Lord? Anybody? One, two, three, a few, right? How many of didn't happen as quickly as you'd like? <laughs> I know my mom can raise her hand, <laughs> right? <laughs> Seriously, yeah, it took them a while. Men, men are great, but we're slow, <laughs> all right? Women are quicker and more open to God, truth. Men are not, men are slower, and when we finally get there, it's great. But until we get there, it's like, come on, pick it up. <laughs> Something happens if you are married to an unsaved spouse. Hang in there, God is doing a work. You may not see it, He is doing it. You are pouring something out on them, they don't even know. You're extending a holiness to them through your life. See, because you're bound in a holy covenant. Marriage is not man's idea sanctioned by the government, it is God's idea. So even if you're married by justice of the peace or on a ship in the middle of the ocean, God's, it's still God's covenant. And he is in that covenant with you and overseeing it. And he is blessing it and he's doing something through you. You are extending something to them you don't even know. We knew a woman years ago, her name was Lorinda. She was a wonderful girl. She worked, at the church, she worked in the daycare at the church we were at. And she just hung in there with her husband and hung in there and tried to show him Jesus and be patient with him. And then one day, one day he left her. And it was difficult. But she could also stand before the Lord and say, I did everything I could. She had no guilt on her conscience. And then when she, you know, there was a bit of rejoicing because he was a bit of a pill. You know, because he was like, thank God. (laughs) Thank God I'm free and now I can find a godly man. And he had the choice. He could have saved his marriage and had a future. He rejected God and and then her, or rejected her and then the Lord, whichever way you want to see it. But when you stay in that situation, as painful as it is, and we don't view covenant like covenant anymore. We view it as a contract. Marriage is something we can just get in and out of. Many of you have walked out divorce, and every one of you know how destructive it is, whether you have kids or not. Nobody, there's nobody who's like, you know, I hope I get divorced someday. (laughs) That'll be a special time for me. No, it's destructive, right? Do you feel it forever? Everybody who's been divorced? Many of you in this room. Do you feel it forever? Yeah. Does that that mean God's mercy and grace don't step in and redeem? Of course he does. Because that's what he does. But nobody would have signed up to go through that, right? Because it's... It's not good. It's painful. All right. Keeping going. On the adverse side, if you're in a relationship with an unbeliever and you're not married, get out. What about, I'm done. Second Corinthians 6.14, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can darkness have with light? You are viewing things not through a spiritual realm when you are living that way. Again, we're not talking to married people. We're talking to single people who are dating or whatever. If you are with an unbeliever, you've got to step out. And you're like, well, no, I have heard every reason. You're always wrong. Because <laughs> God's always right. This is what his word says, yoked. What does that mean? Well, so oxen at that time, you take basically it looks kind of looks like that medieval torture thing, like this, but you put it on oxen. And what you would do is, if there were different types of oxes, okay, let's say I had a big one and then I, I had a new young one, I could take it, I could, I could, I could fashion a yoke where it would fit the large one, and then on the weak one, it would, it would, it would put less weight on them, but they would equally pull. Uh, even though the b- majority of the weight and the work is on that. Now, here's what's cool. When Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, he's going back to this same word, and where it says we're this tiny little calf, and we're like, look at all the work I'm doing. God's actually the giant calf doing all the work. And that's what he's saying when he says, my yoke is easy, my burden's light. I'm gonna, I got the burden on me. You're doing almost nothing, <laughs> right? Okay, so in this situation, Paul's saying, and when you're married, you're yoked to another person, and, and if they're not with Jesus, you're literally pulling dead weight, when you, when, when, not when you're married, but when you're single. You're pulling dead weight. When you're in covenant, God's using that covenant through you to move in their life. And ultimately, they'll have a choice, but that's what's happening. Why? Why do this, Pastor Brian? Why, why is it a big deal? Well, mainly because when we are in Christ, we don't view things the same anymore. We don't view things like the world views them. I don't know if you've noticed, but the world is bad at solving problems. Government kind of blows. They're not good at this. Verse 17, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain there is when God first called you. And this is where he starts to open up, move away from just marriage. This is my rule for all the churches. For instance, a man who circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. And some guys in that church said, thank God, all right? (laughs) And the man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised now. The other guy was like, oh, that's good news. For it makes no difference whether or not a man's been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commandments. Yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. Get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you're now free in the Lord. If you're free when the Lord called you, you're now a slave. God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Some of you are like, so the Bible's, the Bible's pro-slavery. First, you didn't just read what I read, where it said if you get a chance to be free, Take it. (laughs) But it also said, but don't define yourself now by that circumstance. Define yourself by being in Christ. You are no longer a result of your circumstance. Your circumstances will now become a result of who you are in Christ. If you wait and you give it enough time and you're faithful, you will make the impact on circumstances around you and the culture. You will cause change. When your life is in Christ, it's no longer a matter of perspective, but of position. Who you are and where you are in Christ. That song we sang today, look where I'm standing now. Who I am in Jesus now is everything. That's why Paul was so hard to mess with. It was like, oh, we're going to chain you up and put you in prison. I'm not in prison, I'm in Christ. We're gonna shipwreck you. I'm not shipwrecked, I'm in Christ. Well, we're gonna, we're gonna try and shut you up. You can't shut me up, I'm in Christ. Like, why can't we shut this guy up? Because Jesus was everything. It permeated his whole being. If there's one thing I was reminded of back in Mardi Gras again was that man, if we just make ourselves available and say, spirit, whenever you want, however you want, I'm listening, let's go. He he is on the move. If we're willing and open. But so many of us, equally, quickly, we just fall asleep. We get lazy. We get tired. We get discouraged. Instead of saying, no, 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 I'm in Christ. We've done so much good, and I'm I'm exceptional at it. We've done so much good navel-gazing. Of like, oh, I'm, I'm this type of personality and I'm, I'm number negative eight on the Enneagram and I don't know where I'm going to go. Oh, I've been single for so long. Stop! Get in on Jesus. Change the perspective and look at what God can do. It gets better though. God can do what you never could and He wants to do it. Verse 35, I'm not saying this for your benefit, not to replace restrictions on you. And I want you to do whatever to help serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Some of us are so stuck on ourselves and are so feeling stuck That we've taken our eyes off of Jesus and what God can do, or here's the bigger thing, maybe what God's about to do, that we dump, we jump, we quit, we bail, we stop trying, and we just coast. Why? Because we quit before God could act. We're jumping off ship before we gave God the reins. Maybe God's about to do something bigger than you could ask, think, or imagine, and you pulled over the car before you got to your destination. Maybe God's about to do something. What do you think God's about? What if your breakthrough, sorry if it's a cliche, but what if it came tomorrow? What if God showed up with the check you need tomorrow? The account you need tomorrow? The spouse you've been looking for tomorrow? We've gotten too good at giving up hope. And we need to start getting good at hope and joy and peace and life and righteousness and freedom and the gospel. The world is hunger. Hungering, they are dying, and they are waiting for somebody to just say, Hey, here. So, this past weekend, a couple days ago, worship team, you can come on up. This past weekend, I went and saw Jesus Revolution. Anybody here see it? It's awesome. Go see it if you haven't. Phenomenal. But it's a true story. It's a true story of the Jesus movement in this nation. It literally ended the hippie movement or the free love movement, which was neither. It wasn't free and it wasn't love. It was destructive. And a generation of young people of hippies and flower children came to Jesus by the tens of thousands because they came to the end of this supposed free movement of tune in, turn on, and drop out. They found out there's no hope here. There is no end. It's not enough. The only thing that's enough is Jesus. That's it. There is nothing else. And I don't care how long you live, how successful you become, how good or patient. You could be the best father, the best husband, the best mom, have the kids have the best education. Say, look at the good life I've had. And even that won't be enough. Because only Jesus satisfies the longing of the soul. And I believe we're in that moment again. We see in Asbury, Kentucky. Young people by the thousands saying they're spreading to other colleges. There's a list of like 15 or 20 colleges right now saying we're experiencing something where young people are coming by the droves. And they're not coming by the droves simply because, because the altars are open. They're coming by the droves because they found out this world's not enough. My sexuality can't answer the question of my purpose. My race can't answer the question of my purpose. My political party can't give me hope. My president won't solve my problems. So what does? Jesus alone. You want your marriage to be saved? You better call on Jesus. You want your kids to be saved, call on Jesus. You want your country to be saved, call on Jesus. You can go to the voting booth, that's fine. I'm all for that. I don't know if you notice, it's not getting better. No matter who's in there. Maybe some policies, maybe my bank account's a little better with certain people. But the hope isn't. I wasn't more hopeful with the last guy or with this guy or the guy before that. Hope seems to be diminishing until we give it back to Jesus. Some of you are like, well, what about my church? Some of you, what about Thrive? Until we make Jesus our everything and we try and make people know him, we won't see it. But if we do, man, it's coming. How many of you? You've made Jesus a fraction of your life, or maybe a part of your life, or half your life, not your whole. God's part of my picture, He's not the picture. And it's real easy to give back.